I hope that you've had a chance to to check out this month's, you know, lineup folks. So Hannah and Allison were our first guests for the month of April. And, you know, their story is amazing. They turned down thousands of dollars, thousands upon thousands of dollars in funding to follow their mission. And they are building such a successful business. It's incredible. And then you've got Christina Hauser, who's our second guest in April, who, you know, went up against, you know, a dozen different doctors and said, no, this is not okay. And just paved her own darn way with about her health. Melissa Houston, who got herself into $100,000 worth of debt, got herself out and then built, you know, an empire around all of her financial literacy and helping others find the same. And then today's guest, who you're going to learn all about because he is fantastic. So again, great stuff in the month of April. So please go back and check it out. But for right now, I am jumping in with the incredible Edgar Blazona. Let's go. Ever found yourself teetering on the edge of throwing in the towel? You know, asking yourself questions like, is this supposed to be this hard? Or is it even possible to succeed at this entrepreneur thing? I completely get it because I built my successful businesses while juggling major health issues for my children and myself, debt piling up to my eyeballs and so much more. Want to know how the hell I succeeded and how you can too? Tune in to find out. Here we go. entrepreneur and welcome to today's show. We have a fantastic story for you. I'm here with Edgar Blazona and he is a modernist American furniture designer. I think that might be the first one we've had on the show folks. And he's founder of the wildly popular DTC sofa brand, Benchmade Modern. And even more interesting, no offense to your company there, Edgar. Um, he is a high school dropout turned graffiti artist, turned serial entrepreneur, got his first start in furniture because of need, because he was essentially young, broken, had no furniture in his apartment. So, and with need comes innovation. And I know that with this episode, there's going to be a lot of laughs and a lot of inspiration. So welcome to the show. Yeah. Hi, thanks for having me. Looking, looking forward to this and so on. You, you, you hit it right on the head. You know, I, I, uh. I'm all those things. It's a little <laughs> bit embarrassing these days, but you know, I am a high school dropout, you know, turned graffiti artist, turned entrepreneur. I think it's fantastic. There was just an uh, article released in the Boston Globe over here about there's like a neurosurgeon who is a graffiti artist on the side. So oh. in between surgery, he literally goes to Graffiti Alley in Boston. Really? And you'll catch him there. And he's got like a mohawk too, which uh-huh. imagine a neurosurgeon with a mohawk. It's awesome. Um, yeah. But he like works at top hospitals all over the country. And that's what he does for fun. You know, that's cool that, you know, if you think about that, it just goes to show you that, that, you know, what we do in our spare time and, 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 and who we become later on and all that has, has really, um, I guess a lot to do with it, but not, you know, for, for me, graffiti was a way of doing art as well as rebelling against everything. Right. And so I was an artist and a rebel and I could put them together and kind of create, um, you know, what, what I was doing at the time, it was a perfect fit for me. Yeah. Well, well, take us back friend. Take us back. Tell us the story because I like tell, well, first and foremost, tell people what the, the, the um, tagline of your company is. We are rebellious luxury. Again, pulling that back from my youth kind of into what I'm doing today. 
Yeah, I love it. I just, that, that is number one. It's just catchy. It's just, good job to your marketing people or you or whoever came up with it, yep. um, but take us back and tell us how, you know, you got to be that rebellious luxury owner. Yeah. So, um, you know, in the nineties, I, um, I left high school. Um, I, I left it at, you know, my senior year, I really realized that I was no longer getting anything out of high school. And I was purely just going almost cause I was forced to go. Um, and I had, I had been, you know, planning on moving out and living on my own and all of those things that a kid does, although, you know, or dreams of, but I, then I actually did it. And, but when I got out of the parent, my parents' home and all that, I realized like, oh, I had no money for furniture. I had no money for, you know, a rug or, you know, the yeah. things that I had become accustomed to. And um, while I got a GED, you know, I quickly got the GED and kind of proved to myself and pr proved to my parents that I was quote unquote, smart enough, you know, yeah. to leave. Yeah. Um, I started, you know, making furniture and, you know, this is before YouTube or anything like that. You couldn't just like right. look up how to weld, you know? And so I got a welder and I'm putting these two things together, you know, like, oh my God, am I going to shock myself to death? You yeah. know, all of those things. And I ended up making a dining table and chairs uh, and a chair, one chair, <laughs> a single one for you, no friends. <laughs> That's it. One chair. Right. And, and I sold it through a gallery and I got, you know, $400 in cash and, you know, a stack of twenties. This is like the most money one had ever seen in any point in their yeah. life. That's how yeah. I felt, you know, and, yeah. and I have been doing furniture ever since. And, and uh, it's been a wild ride. And, and, um, you know, like I said, I'm self-taught, um, but it's that entrepreneurial thing um, that has driven me. And even going back to my graffiti days, I transitioned my crew, my graffiti crew, yeah. my friends into a business. And I started this business called Graffiti Graphics. And I think that really primed me into being able to present myself to adults, you know, and, and, <laughs> and in this form of this illegal thing that I'm selling that we're going to do for your wall and you're going to give us a bunch of cash. Yeah. We're going to paint the wall. And I think that was the start of my entrepreneurial kind of, um, you know, endeavors. That's very cool. I mean, you are not the first number when you were by no means the first person to come on the show who's, you know, been ridiculously successful, but dropped out of high school. So yes. I want to note that. And I'm yes. going to remember that from when my children hit high school <laughs> to remember yes. that point. Right. Um, but I like the fact that you've got that right and left brain part of you, right? Like you just, are, what you just articulated, because I'm a theater major, by the way. So okay. shout out okay. to all the artists out there, but yep. you know, you can bring, I think people really underestimate what art can do for, for yeah. a business person, right? Well, that's, that's interesting because I, I often speak about, you know, people ask like, well, you know, my kid, I have a kid who's in college, right? A fancy college, right? Yeah. And, but that's perfect for him, right? right? It's, yeah. it's right for him, right? He, he doesn't have the chance to go out and, and, and leave high school. Like that's just not his thing. But, but for me and for the people doing art, I think there's an interesting thing there that the artists that we know of, right? Those are the ones, there's very few that were just kind of found and made famous, right? right? The yeah. artists we know of have right and left brain because they've had to go out and market themselves. Yes. Yep. That's yep. why we know of those artists, right? Is because they're just as good of, of um, you know, building their brand right. as they are doing their art. Exactly. Exactly. It's interesting. My, my master's was in running arts organizations, like nonprofit. Okay. 
And they always, it was always really interesting to me because you would have the pure artists that started organizations, but then they would get into so much trouble because they wanted, they used to have the phrase like art for art's sake, right? Mm -hmm. They wanted to run these organizations and they wanted to do this thing, but they didn't know, like you just said, how to monetize the brand. So yes. then you would bring in a me, like I was the, the left brain to the right yes. brain because I understood how they worked. But, you know, I think it's a superpower when you have both. I think all CEOs should have both on a lot of levels. Yeah. And many don't. Right. And I think right. that that's where then you have like the two founder dynamic. Right. Yes. We all yeah. we all know in raising <laughs> yep. capital. In fact, when I raised capital, I was kind of not shunned, but I was maybe didn't get the best of meetings because I was a single founder. Right. And, yeah. and they're looking for these founders that have, you know, either the creative or the engineering skills. Right. Yep. This is the yep. yin and the yang yep. kind of thing the engineering skills. And then the other side is the business skills. And it's, it's hard to have both. Yeah. I mean, which is really interesting to me because I'm sorry, two founders come with their own. <laughs> like I've been privy to some interesting situations where I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting between the two, right. Trying to kind of, you know, transition things or, you know, work them through and mediate some things. So, you know, I, I understand why they, they look at that from a funding perspective, but you know, I, I'm going to look at it as people missed out if you weren't in those rooms. Right. Cause I look at you now. Yeah, look right. at me now. Yeah. 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 Um, so, you know, talk to us about some adversity that you dealt with. Cause I know you said you have lots of good stories and stuff. So let's talk about the adversity bucket. Like, do you have anything that's top of well, mind where, yes. you know, you didn't want to keep I, going or anything? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, look, there's so many sides of it. Um, you know, just right off the top of my head, when we got into the sofa business, I had a brand called True Modern and we were, we were selling product. Uh, I, was, I was wholesaling product that I was importing from Thailand. It was modern kids furniture. Yeah. And in 2008, the world just kind of fell apart. The economy fell, fell apart. And I was stuck with two warehouses, one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast, filled with inventory. Yeah. And, and you know what? sales just stopped. I mean, it, it just, I was selling one piece a day, wow. <laughs> right? One piece a day doesn't pay anywhere near anything. It's going to take you a pay... long time to work, work down those two warehouses, right? <laughs> right. And I'm not only the inventory, but yeah. the rent of those yeah. warehouses. And so I thought, boy, I, there better be something better to do here. And that's how I started with sofas. Well, turns out that you can't convince a factory that you're a sofa designer or that you're a sofa business unless you actually sell sofas. So what I ended up doing was I went to a smaller manufacturer, uh, a guy who would make basically custom sofas for you. Yeah. And I would pay retail cost, you know, let's say call it $1,500. I pay $1,500 and then I put it on my site and I'd sell it for $1,500. I made zero money. And yeah. I had all these sofas and I had this big site and look, I'm in the sofa business. And right? I'm breaking even. Yep. <laughs> but no one knows I'm breaking even, right? Yeah. Or even losing money, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then I went to a new factory, you know, six months, eight months later and hey, I'm in the sofa business. I need to get your best pricing on this. Turns out $700. You can get these sofas for $700 because I'm now a sofa guy, right? Yeah. And that was one way that I was able to kind of, kind of maneuver my way, you know, uh, along. Now I did, I made some big mistakes, right? I, gosh, we had some tough times. I, I was selling sofas. I was collecting sales tax. 
Well, it turns out you have to give the sales tax money to the state. Yeah, that would, that <laughs> would be a thing. Yeah. Right. Oh, you would think, right. Well, I, you know, we were having some tough months and, you know, we used that sales tax account money, you know, to pay off some bills, to pay the, the store rent and all that. Right. And, uh, you know, I'll pay it back, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. 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 And it was a big slap and it really hurt us. And, and it scared me, frankly. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's those times when you realize like, wow, okay, now I got to get my hand, my head around this business. Right. And understand, yeah. understand things a little more. The artist in me had kind of taken over. Well, now yeah. the business side of me had to really kind of, kind of gather things up and, and, and do a better job because we're talking about a lot of money, right? Yeah. I mean, we're still, breaking even or losing money, but, but it was a larger number. So the sales tax number was a big giant number and a lot to work through. And I mean, kudos for, for number one, admitting that right. Number two, telling our audience, because I think a lot of the times people don't realize like you're not, you can come out of the womb, a damn CEO, right? None of us, none of us did right. Even the CEOs, like the most popular CEOs didn't come out like that. And especially if you are a founder and CEO and you, you didn't get an MBA or you didn't get whatever, you know, there, there are these times where you're just trialed by firing everything Yes, and you don't learn unless you fuck it up. Right. Yeah, I agree. And that's where that imposter syndrome thing comes from. I think a lot of people don't, don't realize how strong that is that if, if you don't know what imposter imposter syndrome is, it's this feeling of, of being an imposter of in, in this role, right? Like, like I'm the CEO or I'm the designer or I'm not really a designer. I'm not really a CEO. And, you know, and so you kind of have that feeling, even though you're having success. Right. And so I think checking in with other CEOs and other founders who maybe will admit that as well. Right. And some of the biggest CEOs and founders will still say they still have that feeling. It's a, it's a weird feeling. And and I, I think it takes some time to kind of, to be comfortable with yourself and realize, you know what, I am pretty badass and I'm, I'm, you know, I can run the show. I can, and I can do it and I can do a good job. Yeah. I mean, and I think it, I think I would think way more highly of a CEO I do in general that would say, I don't know, or I'm going to fuck this up or I, you know, and admits that versus I'm not a big fan of the all knowing CEO model because that's impossible. Number one. And number two, we all should be changing and growing. And if you're scaling a company or you want the company to grow, you have to grow too. So you don't, it's impossible to know everything. Changing and growing is important. Right. And and I think in the furniture industry, right, which is what I was disrupting, right? I'm right. just, I'm yeah. a furniture industry disruptor. I've got a bunch of old school people have been running this furniture industry, let's say from North Carolina, right? That's yeah. kind of the home of, of yep. upholstery right. for a long, long time, you know? And, and there was a time we won some awards early on, you know, it's like, these guys were still like faxing orders, like faxing orders, you know? And we're like... <laughs> you know, we're emailing and they're like, well, we can't accept your order because it's not on fax. Well, oh my gosh. you know, so, so these guys are having to change and adapt and along comes the internet, you know, and then yeah. along comes direct to consumer and all that. And I think it's a, it's an interesting reminder that, look, let's not become too jaded in this is how we've always done, done it. And this yeah. is how we'll continue. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is too, is like, you're only as good as your last kind of 
I mean, maybe that's the theater person. I mean, you're only as good as your last show, right? So 100%. if you're, you know, your revenue may be hitting the marks and stuff like that. But again, I, I, I guess it's just me. I'm always scared of stagnation, right? When I can no longer learn anything from a situation, that's when I kind of release and find something different. But yeah. you're right. I think the most dangerous thing to a company and probably a human being is like, well, this is the way we've always done it which drives yeah. me, drives me nuts. Drives I mean, nuts. hello, dad, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> did your dad just say that to you? Like, Jesus, you know? And so I feel like I'm constantly trying to kind of push that envelope. I know some new guy's going to come along and push that on me, but yeah. I, you know, I, I at least want to say it. I kind of check myself. Like, did that just sound like my dad? You know, you know my dad's not even yeah. really like that, but the dad, you know, yeah. I just, you know, that's yeah. sort of like, you know, old dog, no new tricks kind of, kind of thing. Right. And I think like what you said, there's inevitably going to be somebody coming up, right. That is going to do it to you, but hopefully you will be more open to say, no, let's try it that way. Or, oh, this is cool. Because I think it, it takes a lot of self-confidence too, to know and security in your, in yourself yeah. to know when to be like, okay, that's cool. Like, it's not going to be a threat to me. If we yeah. try this, it's going to innovate. The next the next thing up, I think, is to surround yourself with people, right? right? Like if one can surround themselves with, you know, new ideas, new inspiration, and then be willing to be, to be open to it. And just like you said, be not threatened by it. I think that's the key. I think you yeah. find so many CEOs that are, are threatened by the up and coming, right? Instead yeah. of like utilizing them to like, help grow and help promote and, right. and, and make it a much more success based on this kind of new energy that's coming into the company. Yeah. And why do you think that is a threat to them? Do you think it's because of the unknown or do you think it's because, you know, they just don't want to change or, you know, I mean, it could obviously be a well, range look, of things, let's, but let's break that down. Right. Yeah. We, we, you know, we get up every morning at the same time, right? Yep. Yep. We stop at it. Starbucks we get the same freaking coffee, you know, frappe or whatever it is, time after time. We go to the same lunch spots, right? We're yep. comfortable with what we know, right? right? Along comes the new guy and he's pushing on that what we know. And I think that's, it's not necessarily a fault of the CEO because it's just kind of built into us, right? Yeah. But it, it takes a lot to get outside of that safety zone and, and, and be open to these new ideas. It's, it's, it's hard. It's hard for me, yeah. frankly. Yeah. I mean, I would never say like, oh my gosh, you're an awful CEO. You didn't see that coming or you didn't, that's impossible. Right. Because I think if you've never run something or you've never been a leader, and I mean, I've never officially been a CEO, but I do run my own company. Um, yeah. You know, you're responsible for people. You're responsible for a lot. Right. Yeah. And in shareholders and whoever else you have to kind yeah. of report into. And I mean, it, yeah. It oh, yeah. comes hard to oh, innovate yeah. or step outside the box. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, and you have to design. Right. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I've been calling it my COVID slump because frankly, COVID has been really difficult. It's been, it's been good for the company. I'm almost embarrassed to say that, right. COVID yeah. kind of helped the company in, in growing our sales, right. Yeah. It, it lifted our sales because everyone's in their homes. They right. are, you know, they're searching, they're, they're in their living rooms. They're like, gosh, you know, this is this janky, janky sofa I've been sitting on for way too long. Like they're searching for new sofas and sofas were selling. Right. And, yeah. and, but at the same time, there's this, well, 
there's a little bit of discomfort for me in that in itself, oh, right. right? Because yeah. we kind of are taking advantage of it, right? Yeah. But yeah. then I personally, in what I've been calling this COVID slump from a design aspect, right? I don't, I don't have that creativity fire, right? And so, yeah. so what do I do? You know, talk about trying to drag yourself out. I, I got to get out. I got to go see what, what made me, you know, a good designer to begin with, right? How did I kind of keep that motivation going? And, and for me, it's all about like seeing architecture, you know, street art, going back to my street art days, you know, all of that is yeah. like, it kind of creates this fire. Even though I'm looking yeah. at this like amazing painting on a wall, I'm also in my head thinking now I kind of design a badass sofa, right? What can I do yeah. to, you know, keep it going? And, yeah. And I, I love the fact that your point of view on this, we had another CEO on, she's CEO of a financial company. And she was saying like, she makes a point of doing things that are outside of kind of the typical CEO role in her daily life to keep her creative juices going and to keep her kind of thinking out of the box and her ability to kind of innovate going. Yes. Right. Yes. And like you just described, like if you were just at a computer doing, I guess, like all CEO things all day, whatever yeah. everybody does, whatever that is, yeah. <laughs> um, totally. you know, I think you would lose a really big part of your, or your edge. Cause I mean, yes. rebellion is your, your thing. So yes. you can't rebel if you just become complacent, right? Yes. If you just become like sitting in a cube, yeah. the data end. Yeah. I totally agree. And for, for me, it's about architecture. It's about seeing art, uh, you know, being involved in those kind of things, a little bit of like gorilla, you know, like, oh, let's just have a party right here on this side of the road and celebrate this bridge or, you know, whatever yeah. it is, like, like those kind of things inspire me to keep, to keep moving. And it keeps me creative. Would you say like, that's the part that kind of gets you through adversity too? Is that creative outlet or, you know, what do you well, think? Well, in all honesty, I love making things, right? I, I still am a maker, right? I right. still have, you know, a full set of equipment, you know, real machines. I, Right. welders. I still, I still enjoy making stuff. I still enjoy making weird stuff. You know, I go to Burning Man every year. Awesome. I make some, I make some weird stuff, you know, and I'm, I'm sitting here right now. I'm, I'm at home working from home. I'm looking out and I've got a shipping container that I've made into a swimming, a swim up pool bar, you know, like Great. those are the kind of things that, that I enjoy making so that I can then be creative in my day to day. And it, yeah. it definitely keeps me motivated. Yeah. I mean, and there's something to be said about, you know, art from a resilience perspective. Like, you know, I don't, I, I don't, I know a lot of artists and I would say like adversity typically makes their artistic ability stronger on yeah. a lot of levels, right? Because they put it into their art or it rejuvenates them, like you're saying, or whatever it may be. But, you know, and like you said, that allows you to balance that left and right brain and show up and do the numbers yeah. every day. Yeah. Right. I wonder if that's why musicians always write about adversity as well, right? Yeah. Their breakups yeah. or, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think it is, you know, and it's, it's the reason, like, I remember when I was doing a lot more acting and stuff like that, like I will take a like knockdown, drag out dramatic role any day. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Over a comedy role. Comedy is actually harder than drama when you're thinking about it from an acting perspective, but you know, it's that ability to use those emotions that we're not allowed to kind of play with all the time uh -huh. and put it into something cool. Right. So I think yeah. you're right. I think that's exactly why like every country song is my, my dog died and my truck died and everything else. Yeah. <laughs> but so let's talk about, um, in the last couple of minutes, I want to hear about, you know, scaling, because like you just said, you, what did you do? You increased it by a hundred percent, your revenue yeah, in yeah. 2020. Um, we've continued. Tell me, yeah. Tell year. me about that because that is, 
everyone will look at that and be like, that's great. But that is also an operational nightmare sometimes. It is an operational nightmare. Um, and it's hard to, you know, going into the COVID era as well, like, you know, supplies became incredibly hard yeah. to get a uh, foam in particular manufacturer, manufa- foam manufacturing companies um, were struggling to get foam, a, 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 par- a product within the foam, a chemical within the foam during that big, you know, Texas freeze, yeah. uh, one of the plants, you know, broke and the other one was offline. And so a, a fundamental material wasn't able to be, to be had to make the foam. And so everyone went on restriction. So, you know, we had to do some crazy things, you know, and uh, to get the foam and, and so on. And that, that was all part of this growth, right? How are we going to meet demand? And I yeah. think that there's, you know, when you're building these systems, some of our systems are, are automated and, um, you know, kind of the behind the scenes stuff. I'm not necessarily talking about the machinery. I'm right. talking about like sort of the office function and, yep. and how we communicate with the customers and all of that. And we keep looking inward of how do we solve those inner office, you know, struggles um, to communicate with that many people as things are skyrocketing up on the same yeah. amount of staff, right? Yep. And, and it's those things that, that we were we were in a pretty good position because we were developing the software, you know, kind of our operating software, so to speak, in-house. Yeah. Nice. So, so we weren't stuck on just like an Oracle or, a, you know, some big, you know, net yeah. suite, something like that. We were able to kind of like rejigger it to, to work for that growth. Uh, but it, it hasn't been easy, that's for sure. And, and you know, making a custom, you know, sofa, yeah. uh, you know, to the customer spec is, is tough. You know, it's, it's not an easy feat in the timeline. You know, right now we're yeah. at five weeks. Um, pretty great, we were, actually. That's pretty great. The, the country is, is at like six months, right? And so, you know, in general, that's kind of the standard right now. If you're, if you're buying anything wow. made from the U S it's about a six month lead time. Wow. That's a half a year. Like yeah. I no longer want, I don't want the sofa in a half a year. Like I don't, want, <laughs> I could have painted my living room five times, but <laughs> I don't want that red sofa that I was like, you know, made this bad decision in the first place. And now it's yeah. six months later and I really don't want a red. Yeah. Sofa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I just, I mean, I gave you a lot of credit when I read that stat because my background, like I spent a long time in tech and operational excellence. And I yeah. just, you know, there is that breaking point, like you mentioned around, like you made a good point. You're doing this, you're doing a elevated level of business with the same amount of bodies because you haven't broken through where you can yeah. hire and even hiring takes time. Yeah. Yeah. And we, <laughs> right? we pride ourselves on the best customer experience. Our whole thing is turning the customer into a brand advocate. I drill yeah. this home every day, right? If you know, stuff goes wrong, right? If a, if a shipping problem happens or if we make something wrong or, you know, God forbid, if something happens, right? And, and it does. I mean, the yeah. amount of orders that we have, we have issues from time to time. Of course. But we have to turn those issues. And, and our goal is to actually take that issue and turn them into a brand advocate. And when I say that, yeah. I mean, like, like at the end of the day, that customer is like, yeah, they brought the sofa, it fell off the truck. It was a total disaster, a wreck, but they got me another sofa. I love this company. Yeah. They were so great. And I'm going to tell my neighbor and my other neighbor and all that. And it's those moments where we can take that experience and, 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 and change it. Like I always say the sofa buying experience shouldn't suck. Period. <laughs> Like, I mean, any buying experience, can we just say that across the board? Can we just make any buying experience not suck? Like, why is it that furniture experience always sucks? Yeah. 
I mean, if I had a dollar for every, every dinner party I was at that someone said, oh, you're a furniture maker? You got a furniture company? I bought this sofa from, you know, unknown name company <laughs> and it never arrived or arrived broken yeah. or, you know, everybody tells me that. And, and, you know, that was one of the reasons why I started Benchmade Modern was to try to like fix that issue. You know, like yeah. I just got tired of hearing that. But I think I like your perspective on when there are issues, right? Because I see a lot of people panic, right? You panic when there's an issue. Oh my God. And then you do everything in your power to make it better, but they do it yeah. from the wrong, they do it from the wrong motivation, Yes. right? They do yeah. it to band-aid it and get it through, right? Yeah. Versus like, no, that's part of the, we look at it as part of the experience that's inevitably going to happen. But yeah. to your point, they're going to come out being like, they fixed it because it doesn't take most people. It doesn't take like a lot. I mean, it takes a lot, but you know what I mean? Like they just want to be acknowledged. Yeah, but it, <laughs> you need like, to more than just fix it. And this is what yes, I tell my yes. team, right? It's not about just sending them another sofa. Right. That's where I think people fall off, right? If, okay, I got this shirt and it, you sent the wrong color and I email, you know, info at, and it, and I get a new one, right? I'm irritated, right? I got that shirt specifically because I was headed to a pool party, whatever the case may be. Yeah. And now it's the wrong color and all that. Now I'm like bummed on this company, right? Yeah. Even though I got the new shirt, I'm still bummed on the company, right? right? And so for us, it's not about just fixing the the problem. It's about fixing the experience. Yes. Right? There's a big yeah. difference to that. There is, difference. there is. Yeah, I mean, experience is what everybody is about nowadays, right? It's yes. it's experiential marketing, right? Like it's, yeah. it's yeah. such a big deal to people because they want to feel seen, heard because there's enough of what you just described in yeah. the world. And I mean, it kind of makes me sad that like, I mean, good for you, but you stand out because you offer that, right? Like we do. We, we would hope, we would hope that maybe like more people would do that. <laughs> yeah. You know who changed the world on that was Bonobos. I'm sorry, not Bonobos, the shoe guy. Um, uh, what was it? Uh, the guy who would send the shoes, like the names, the, the name, I, I, I can't find it about. now, but uh, Zappos, that's it. Yes, Zappos. Zappos? Yep. I mean, it was like yeah. a game changer. Like yeah. we'll send you a bunch of shoes, try them on and send them back, period. Yeah. <laughs> like, and wow. people are like, what? Like, yeah. what do you mean? Yeah, you know, it was that experience that changed things. And, and but it uh, must be, it must be hard too, because you are disrupting with that. Right. And, yes. and training people, like I have somebody who I'm close with, who actually owns a massive painting company and okay. he has to reprogram people because they all automatically think it's going to be a shit show yes. like when his guys come in. And when his company comes in, they automatically are like, think that he's not going to call back. Think that nothing's yeah. going to happen, you know, yeah. so you guys probably have to re-educate a lot on that too, right? We have a lot of those things in our, what the quote unquote funnel, right? right. We're driving right. these people through the funnel. Yeah. And whether you realize it or not, I send you this giant box of swatches, right? It's a, it's like a 12 by 12 box, couple inches thick. It's got a hundred swatches in it of nice size fabrics and leathers, right? Yeah. I send it second day air. Okay. It's the first one in the door. It's an amazing box, right? When you get this box, you're like, okay, wow, it's an amazing box. But what's really happening and what you don't really understand is I'm kind of like in your head of like, no, this is the real deal. Like yeah. these people are real, you yeah. know? And while you're getting all your other swatches and they come in an envelope and they're not quite as great. In the meantime, you're like kind of in the back of your head, like, oh, wow, this company, like that company was cool. And we have, we call it a micro conversion and we, we do that and yes. we drive you down through the funnel and we start to get you invested in the right. product, right? The customization is more than just you get to pick a custom sofa. 
It's that now you're vested in this product, right? Mm -hmm. You've customized it. You've chosen the color. You've made it the size to your room. But at the same point in time, you're now, this is the sofa that you made, right? You know, and, and that's, that whole experience is, is designed like that. And, you know, lo and behold, guess what? Our return rate is super low, right? Yeah. Because we, we send a great quality product, but you made it, you designed right. it. You got the buy-in further and, upstream in the process. And, and you're like, wow, like I had this made and it's super cool and all that. And, and yeah. of course, then you're going to extra love it. It's not going to be like a Zappos shoes where you're like, eh, I'll just return Send it, it. back. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, and, and I think a lot of people negate what you just said. What did you say? It was Mike, you called a micro conversion. Micro conversion. Yeah. People negate that so much. Yeah, I think, I think yeah. like when I'm thinking about it, thank you for giving me the terminology. I don't know why I'd never heard that before, but I talk to clients a lot about that because especially if they're launching something or they're this yeah. or they're that, like it's those little steps where you have a chance with the client or the customer to gain yeah. their trust every totally. little step. And I, I really love those tactile experiences, right? That's the swatches cool. are yeah. tactile. You know, we, yeah. we also have, you, you go to one of the, the printout pages, you can, you can print out, you can hit print and we'll send you a giant roll of paper that is your sofa's exact size, like to awesome. the dimension, a yeah. giant sectional sofa, this huge thing you put together. That's the actual custom size of your sofa. You yeah. can have your husband laying between the arms. Does he fit? Can he take a nap there? You can sit all your family. We get all these pictures back of people sitting on the floor, That's sitting awesome. on these pieces of paper, right? Yeah. It's a tactile experience. It's it, again, it's, it's all about that micro conversion. Yeah. I'm like yeah. kind of giving the tricks of the trade here, but um, the, the whole idea is, is to show the experience and to get people invested in this thing. And by, and by bringing them down through this funnel in that manner, Right. They walk away at the end of the day, extremely excited about their purchase. Right. That's amazing with the paper. I hope that's good social media content right there because that's hysterical and it awesome. Right? <laughs> like the marketer in me was like, whoa, that's cool. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but anyways, um, this is fantastic. And thank you so much. Is there any kind of last bits that you want to leave our entrepreneurs with? Maybe Gosh. whatever's in your head. You've given us well, a lot. Um, whatever's in my head. Honestly, <laughs> I'm an artist, right? I have so much going Wrong in my question head. To <laughs> totally. They should definitely check us out at benchmademodern.com. Yeah. And I have a, a, a code for you guys, resilient15 for 15% nice. off. You know, use that. You know, the best thing to do is to go to our site. And I, I swear by these swatches, like Order some swatches. Just, just let's see what happens to you when you order these yeah. swatches. It's hard to pass up, to be honest. Sounds awesome. No, it <laughs> sounds fantastic. I mean, it's just, again, it's all about the experiential marketing and the, the experience that you bring your people through through. And I mean, again, rebellious luxury folks. I love it. But then, but then at the end of the day, it's what's under the hood as well, right? Yes, you it is. Have a yes, good it is. Quality piece. So it's yes. not all just, you know, the experience it's, it's after we leave your home and a year later, what does your sofa look yeah. like? Yeah. That's I mean, but you have thing. to, you have to have that kind of magic combination where you actually yeah. deliver on what yes. your experience is. And I actually, uh, my big thing is put as, put as much money into the, under the hood as possible, yeah. right? Put the best materials you possibly can yeah. because it will have longevity. And, and I look at it as like, it might cost us a little bit more, but I'm not going to get a return, right? I, right. the return is more the headache than anything. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't, 
I don't want to say a lot of people because that generalizes, but I think it's, it's more common nowadays for the opposite of what you just discussed, just right? Like let's get it fast and out the door and turn it around and stuff. And if yeah. it breaks, they'll just buy another one or whatever that is, you know? And it's just, I like, I like your, your approach on that a lot. Thank you. Thank you. It's a little bit selfish, you know, in, in one regard, I really don't want to hear bad from you. You know, yeah, like of course you now. don't. Well, you know, that's the artist in you too, right? Like, please don't critique yeah. my art. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I'll leave nothing to be critiqued. That's amazing. Well, thank you very much for being on today, Edgar. Yeah. This was a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been great. I feel like Edgar's energy is like catchy. Like he made me excited <laughs> um, and he made me excited about furniture, which is a pretty interesting thing to do. Um, you know, I just love his message, how he, everything about it, how he came from dropping out of high school. You know, sometimes the traditional path is not the one you want to take. Maybe it doesn't fit. I think that about my kids all the time, like whatever path they're going to take, it's going to be theirs. And that's what matters, right? It doesn't matter if it is what everybody else's looks like, it matters that you lean into the places of your mind and the places of you that are strongest and you leverage them. And that's exactly what Edgar has done here. So on next week's episode, I am going to be joined by Christina Flack. So Christina has a really great story, a powerful story where, you know, she has had such an experience with such an extensive amount of loss and grief throughout her life, her mother, her child, her husband, you know, and she's, she's moved through this journey of finding joy and gratitude all while you know, being the creator and CEO of Pretty Girl Makeup. So that is an episode you do not want to miss. And if you love this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, download, follow, rate, and review. And you know, tell a friend because who couldn't use a little more resilience in their life, right? See you later.